Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. Well, Happy New Year. I hope you had a good uh, New Year and Christmas with your family. Uh, we were able to get away just for a couple of days uh, to Des Moines for just a short trip and uh, went to our favorite, one of our favorite restaurants through the drive-thru of Chick-fil-A and uh, had our meal COVID style just right there in our van. And uh, as we were uh, just eating together, we uh, had, a, had a conversation and I just asked my family a couple questions. Uh, the first question was this, uh, what was your biggest disappointment in 2020? Uh, what was your you know, biggest challenge? What was really, really hard for you? And, you know, uh, we have a seven-year-old all the way through an 18-year-old, so a lot of different responses, a variety of, of depth to those responses, but it was really good to, to hear from one another and just to spend some time just honestly uh, processing uh, this past year and, and realizing it has been hard. It's been a hard, long road and, and a lot of disappointments along the way, and, and it was good for us just to spend some time doing that together and not just to, to skip past that, uh, but to process that together. But then I asked a second question, and that was this. Uh, how did God show up in, in the midst of your disappointments? Uh, how, did he, how did he meet you uh, right on the road of your disappointments this year? And uh, that was also really helpful uh, to realize that even though we go through hard things, we're not left to ourselves. That, that God has, has come and he has helped us, he has loved us and guided us and has given us the grace uh, to continue moving on through this journey together. As I was reflecting upon that time together in the van, I couldn't help but think that, you know, we, um, we have been walking down a hard road, but we can't keep walking down the road of disappointment anymore. Um, Jesus is inviting us, he's calling us, to a better road, uh, to a better story, to a better journey in 2021. And he, he wants to meet you right where you are today, uh, right there on the road of disappointment and show you a better path, a better road, a road to hope in this new year. And so that's what I want to talk about today from Luke chapter 24. So if you've got a Bible, turn there with me. If you don't have one with you, the words will be up there on the screen and back of me. Uh, Luke 24, uh, beginning with verse 13. And while you're turning there, uh, today we begin a new series, a five-week series called On the Same Page. And we're uh, planning in the next few weeks here to walk through the storyline of the Bible together. But, but first, we want to look at really the, the prologue, if you will, the, um, the setup uh, to the story, uh, to pull us in to what God wants to tell us here on the pages of Scripture. And we're going to see how Jesus invites us into his story uh, invites us into this better road to get off the road of disappointment onto the road of hope. And so let me read verses 13 to 32. This is the word of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, 
Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight." They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And so let's look at the uh, context of this story back in verse 13. It says, that very day, this was the day that Jesus had risen from the grave. This was Sunday, and it was now in the afternoon. And these disciples had no idea that Jesus had risen from the grave. Uh, they were, there were two of them, as you can see. One of them, we get his name, was Cleopas. We don't know the other's name. Could have been his wife, for all we know. But they were followers of Jesus who were now very disappointed, bewildered, dumbfounded. What just happened here? Jesus suffered and died upon a cross. Why? And so here they are, and they're walking toward this village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem where all these things had taken place. By the way, all these things refer to all the events of this past week leading up to this moment where Christ was crucified on a cross. And so they're, they're walking and they're talking and they're discouraged and they're disappointed. They're wondering why all this happened. They're escaping on the road to Emmaus. We don't know a lot about this town other than the name means warm springs. And so perhaps for these disciples who were disappointed, it was a way of escaping to a place where they could find some kind of refreshment, some kind of renewal, some kind of hope. And so as they were walking, they were just talking about these things, trying to get away from it all, so to speak, just getting out of Dodge. And I wonder if we can resonate with them and identify with them this year. I was watching New Year's Eve, and one of the channels, it was called Escape from 2020. <laughs> kind of is a good picture of what we wanted, right? Uh, it, it's felt like we've wanted to escape from this. And, and I think the main way, we could list many different ways we try to escape from our disappointments, but I think the main way we do this is through this phone, through our screens. 
we, uh, we scroll and we scroll and we scroll day after day after day, looking at a screen, hoping to escape from the reality around us. What is it doing to us? We could talk about this in many different levels. I think um, the neuroscience shows, especially among young people, but I think it, it goes all across the board for us adults as well, that the more that we are on screens, the more anxious we are, the more fearful we are, the more angry and prideful we are, the more controlling we are. Why? We think we can manipulate this to do what we want it to do for us, but it can never give us what we really want deep inside. It can't fill the hope that we lack on the inside. Another level to this is as we look at our screens, um, it also breeds in us kind of this us-them, us-versus-them mentality. So if you line up with this issue or this group of people, you're on that side, but if you line up with this group of people in, in this issue, you're on that side. And, and there's no real conversation, no interaction, no nuance to this conversation because we can't really have it. We're on screens. And so perhaps we can push a like here and you know, uh, give a comment there, but it's only reinforcing what we already know and believe to be true in our minds. And, and many of you have watched The Social Dilemma, this documentary, uh, kind of... Uh, outlining this whole uh, dangerous um, you know, impact that screens are having on our lives and how there are people watching us, right? Tracking where we're going all the time on, on Google and wherever else. And the algorithms that the computers are generating are basically giving us this little echo chamber of what we wanna hear, reinforcing what we think is right. And so we, we continue on uh, with this kind of mind because we're so enveloped into our screens. On another level, others have said the same thing. I think that the biggest challenge facing the church in the 21st century is this. I really do. I mean, the, the voices that compete for your attention I mean, the hours that we're giving to this compared to spiritual things, to, to, compared to here, you know, with our church family and here in the Bible, in the word of God, I mean, it doesn't even close, it's not even close, the, the amount of hours, and we stack them up. I saw a statistic among young people. It's like they're on the screen 20 times more than they are doing any kind of spiritual activities. And we wonder where this is leading. Where is it taking us as we try to sort through social media and try to sort through how it's affecting us as a people. So we want to escape, and yet it's only drawing us more and more inward, fixed on ourselves, me, what I want, what I need. But we hope it'll give us some kind of happiness well, as these disciples are trying to escape on this road to Emmaus, they're disappointed. As they're talking amongst each other, it's, it's, it's almost like they're feeding into all of that because they're, they're ignorant of what's happened and why this has happened. 
And that's partly true of how we are as well. We can continue to talk with one another and we never invite Jesus in on the conversation. Well, here's what he does. He shows up in the midst of them anyway. Look at what happens in verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So this is amazing. Jesus meets us on the road of our disappointments, right where we are, like shows up in really ordinary ways. He doesn't come like in a flash of glory, I'm back. No, he, he subtly just shows up and they don't even recognize who he is. Their eyes were kept from seeing him. I don't know if you've ever had this experience when, when you're not able to see something like right in front of you. This is true of me when I go to, to look in the fridge at home. Like I'm, I'm looking for something, I just can't seem to find it. Then I asked Jamie, could you help me find this? And amazingly, it takes her like three seconds to find what I can't seem to find. Any of you other men identify with me in that? Yes, thank you. Uh, You guys have like a superpower. Women, we just don't have that. However, on on Friday night, so we were uh, getting ready for supper and I'm helping Jamie and, um, and we're gonna have salad part of our meal, and she's looking in the pantry for the croutons, and she can't find them. She's just like, well, we won't have croutons, that's fine. But I'm like, I kind of want croutons. So I go to the pantry, and I'm like looking, and whoop, pull them right out. And she's like, huh, maybe 2021 is going to be different. (laughs) So there you go. It's like the first time that's ever happened. But these disciples are walking along in their disappointment as they're talking about all these things that have happened. Jesus shows up, their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and we're going to find out why in just a minute. So Jesus then begins to ask them questions. Look at verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know these things that have happened there in these days? This story is like dripping with irony, right? Like, are you the only one that doesn't know? You're looking at him. Verse 19, and he said to them, what thing? So Jesus is kind of just playing along. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty, a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So you see here Jesus in his tenderness approaching these disciples with questions. Why is he asking them questions? He knows the answer to these questions. What is he doing? I think he's helping them to process through what's going on in their hearts. If you've started this uh, Bible reading plan, so far we've read Genesis 1 through 4. And in chapter 3 is the familiar story of Adam and Eve and how they sinned and, and how God came in the cool of the day and went toward them asking them questions, asking Adam, where are you? What did you do? What have you done? Did you eat from the tree? And, and he's asking those questions not for answers. He already knows where Adam is. He's asking these questions to draw out Adam's heart. That's what he's doing here. He is our wonderful counselor. You know, we think about that as a Christmas text, but Jesus comes to us as a counselor asking these questions to draw us out. And perhaps he's doing that today in your life. Why are you so disappointed? Why are you so sad? Why are you still angry? What's going on in your life? So he's asking these questions as our counselor on the road of our disappointments to draw us out. 
And I think underneath all of that, he's seeking to help us to see what's behind our disappointments. Sometimes we just want to stuff our disappointments and like the turn of the calendar has come and 2021 is here. So we're off to a new start. I'm going to forget everything that's happened in the past and move on. And, and we got to be careful with that. There's some truth to that, but you know that a turning of the calendar doesn't automatically change your anger and your anxiety and your frustrations and disappointments, right? Jesus is the only one that can do that. And so he wants to draw out these disciples and help them to see there's something behind that disappointment. And we discover in verse 21 what it is. Look there with me. But we had hoped, I can can see Cleopas just saying this with kind of like tears in his eyes. We had hoped that he, Jesus, was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. By the way, just a little parenthesis here. Women were the first witnesses to the resurrection. This proves the historical reliability of Luke's account. Like if you're compiling a story here and just trying to like make things up, surely you wouldn't include women as the first witnesses because back then they weren't valued as credible witnesses in the court of law. So you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't have women be the first ones as witnesses. But Luke just records it as it really happened. The other thing I want to say about that is this. We value women here. Women, we value you, your gifts, your voice, what you bring to our church, your leadership, your love, your ideas. We welcome them here. In fact, I just want to say this. If it weren't for my, my wife we would not be having this series here today. She originally wanted this for just the women of our church. She had this idea, we want to be on the same page as women to read through the Bible. I said, can we do that as a whole church? And yeah, let's do it together. Let's, let's, let's bring in the entire church with us. And so we just want to say, men and women, we're together in this, right? These disciples, they thought, well, that's just an idle tale. We haven't seen the resurrected Jesus for ourselves yet. And so they were, they were lacking and hope. And so what we see behind their disappointments is that they had, a, had a, an ex- expectation here. You can see it there in verse 21. We had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. What they wanted was this savior to come to be a, a conquering ruler, a political liberator. They didn't want a suffering, crucified savior. That's not what they had conceived of in the Messiah that would come. And so the, the wrong expectations led to Lack of hope, which led to disappointment, which led to, I'm going to try to escape. This is exactly what happens in our lives. We have wrong expectations. And here's where the last year was a little window into our hearts, into my heart. Let me just personalize this. I want my life to be comfortable. I want my life to be easy. I like comfort. I like rhythm. I like control. Anybody else there with me? So when that is kind of like all wonky, you know, 
I don't like it. It's disruptive. I had expectations of what the year was going to be like. And because those expectations were wrong, in other words, hey, we're not promised in this life an easy life as Christians. It's going to be hard. We're going to suffer. We're going to go through trials after trials in the pathway of following Jesus. And if we have the wrong expectations, we're going to lack hope. And when we lack hope, we're going to be disappointed. And when we're disappointed, we try to escape. Hey, maybe this will help me. If only somebody would click like and help me to see that I'm not alone in all of this, even though, you know, God himself is with us. So we have these wrong expectations. I think behind it for these disciples, they were eager to have someone just rule over the Romans and bring about this power and liberation and freedom now. We want this now. They didn't want suffering. They didn't conceive of a savior coming in weakness. So so listen, you remember in the uh, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus outlines the life of a follower of Christ by saying, you're going to be blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want to be blessed? Your heart must be humble as you look at your life. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Really, Jesus? You're you're saying when we mourn over the brokenness of this fallen world that we're going to be blessed because we'll be comforted by something the world can't give us, by a peace that's in you, and, and to long for your return? Yes. Blessed are those who are persecuted, Jesus says, for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're blessed when we're persecuted in the name of Jesus? Yes. But here we are. I'm mad because... My life's not comfortable and I haven't had my rights and privileges that I need to have to make my life good. And Jesus is like, wait a second, this is an upside down kingdom. I'm coming in and you're gonna be different. You're gonna be aliens in this world. You're gonna look different in the way that you live. You're gonna follow along the same path I followed. Jesus was really a polarized figure in his day. You know who loved him? The broken the outcasts, the ones who were on the fringes. I want to hear more. And those who were too prideful for any of that didn't want anything to do with Jesus. You're a friend of sinners. I don't want to hang around you. So Jesus is, is bringing in here this new kind of kingdom and he's doing so and telling these disciples, hey, wait, you, you missed it. You missed the reason why I came. You should have known. You know, you, you grew up in this. I think these disciples should have known the word of God. And we see in verse 25, Jesus, it seems like he's a little frustrated with them. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So, you can, you can just picture Jesus here tenderly, but also with frustration in his voice saying, hey, you, you know this, right? This is recorded all throughout the prophets that there is a suffering Messiah, a suffering servant coming. I'm him. And I died upon the cross. That's why I came. 
It was necessary that the Christ should suffer like this before entering into glory. And we learned in 1 Peter, if you were with us as a church, that it's first the suffering, then the glory. We follow along that same pathway towards heaven. And so Jesus is coming to these disciples. He's saying, hey, look, look I'm, I'm not only your counselor, I'm your companion along the road that leads to heaven. And you're going to follow with me into suffering all the way to glory. But notice what he does here. I love this. So he has yet to reveal himself to these disciples. He's just trying to show them from the scriptures that this had to happen because they had missed it, right? They wanted a Messiah that was powerful and strong and coming to rule and reign now. And he says, no, this is what was prophesied. And then in verse 27, look there with me. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This would have been incredible to witness. I don't want Luke to stop right here. Keep writing. I'd like to get a window into what that was like, right? Like for a like a two-hour Bible study as Jesus walked through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy and so on and so forth and said, this is me and this is about me and, and this is also about me. And all throughout the Old Testament, just full of Christ on every page. It's all about me. Made me think, of uh, a book that we've given to our kids um, when they were young, and I brought Harper's with me here today. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this book called My Book About Me, Dr. Seuss book. And this is really fun because your kid gets to put their name in here and then get to write several different things about who they are, like how many teeth you have, how much you weigh, you know, how tall you are. Draw a picture of your foot. I mean, exciting stuff in here for, for young kids. Your nose, your eyes, your hair, all that kind of, where do you live, your address, you know, your phone number, all kinds of fun stuff in here. My book about me, and I still got mine when I was a kid. So it's kind of fun to keep over the years, my book about me. But I want to say to you and warn you today that uh, if you look at the Bible that way, that's really dangerous. Sorry, I missed that, Siri says. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you that the Bible is about Jesus, not about you. All right? Um, that, was, that was not on cue. I didn't plan that by any means. <laughs> but you know what's interesting about that? We do talk to Siri and Alexis almost like as if they're a counselor for us, like we got in our pocket. Isn't it crazy that today that we can actually look to Google to help us out in solving relational issues? How weird is that? Really? When we have the wonderful counselor, Jesus, to help us? Wow. We need to go back to the word. So here's what Jesus says. He says, this book is about me, is what he's trying to say. This is not a book about you. This, this is a book about me. And, and some of us grew up in the church where we thought, well, the Bible is kind of a list of rules that I've got to follow. You know, and I, I better do all the right thing and then God will bless me and then I'll be a good person and then I'll go to heaven. That is not the purpose of the Bible. I've heard it even said, kind of the acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth. That's really cute, but it's wrong. This is not just basic instructions. That's not what the Bible is all about. 
It's also not a self-help guide. You know, some, some of you, and I know we've all probably done this before, it's like, man, I have stuff going on in my marriage, and you're flipping back to the index. What's it say about marriage in here? And what you're wanting is like help in your marriage, and you're hoping that the Bible is kind of like this guide for you to help you in different subject areas. Or you're like, I'm really anxious. Would you give me like stuff on anxiety? Because I need to be more at peace. And, and you're approaching this as if this is a self-help guide with topics that will help you in your life so that you'll be happier. That's, that's not what the Bible was written for. Others of you, uh, you grew up in Sunday school and you learned the different stories and it was like the story of David, story of Joseph, story of Noah, and so on. And you're looking at these characters and like, wow, they're amazing heroes of faith and I gotta follow their example. That's not really why the Bible was written. It's not a collection of different stories. This is one big story about Jesus and his plan of redemption. He's unfolding that from Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's a story of Jesus and how he's come to save us and rescue us and to give us new life. So Jesus is showing his disciples here ever so tenderly from the Old Testament, this is a book about me. This is a book about me. And as they're listening to him, they continue to, to listen with anticipation. In verse 28, we go on with the story. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he, Jesus, acted as if he were going farther. Why would he do that? I think it was to test them and say, hey, are you, are you tired of this? Are you growing a little weary of, of this you know, walking through the scriptures? And their response was, no, we want more. I mean, you've whetted our appetite. We are hungry to know more. So they urged him, verse 29, strongly, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. And so we went in to stay with them. So it was customary when you're invited in to someone's place that they were to serve as the host now and to break the bread and to give it to you. But Jesus in this moment, takes the position of not the guest, but the host. And we see him in verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. Wow. So in that moment, I don't know what it was. Did they see the nail-scarred hands? Did they, they recognize the familiar words that he used in the, in the Lord's Supper or, or when he did the miracle of uh, feeding the 5,000? What was it about that moment? We don't know for sure, but their eyes were open. They recognized him, and all of a sudden, he just vanishes out of sight. And then verse 32, listen, this is the climax of the story. Look at it with me. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So, so I love this. this. This is amazing. Like what impacted them most was not seeing and knowing that's Jesus in person, but what they remembered, what caused their hearts to burn within them was when Jesus opened up to them the scriptures and showed them, this is all about me and the plan of redemption that's been unfolding. And their hearts were burning now. What, what, what would that mean? I think it meant in their disappointment, now their hearts were burning with sincere hope. Hope broke through and shined brightly in their hearts 
as they saw this amazing work of God's redemption in Jesus and how he came to suffer and to die and to be raised to new life. And their hearts were burning inside with hope and joy. Does that happen in your life? Are you... You sense the conviction or the, the comfort and the, and the passion as the word of God becomes clear to you that this is about Jesus and that's about Jesus and, and that's also about Jesus and I want to see more of Jesus. Guys, that's my goal for you and for me this year in 2021, that you would see Jesus on the pages of scripture and your hearts would burn with hope. That's my that's my goal. That's my greatest desire for you in this new year. Because listen, you could talk about all the other resolutions and goals you might have, but if you see Jesus in the scriptures, it's going to change your life, guaranteed. It's going to change your life. It's going to change the lives of those in your family, the, the lives of those in your church family, the lives of those in your workplace, in your school. You're going to change as you become more and more like Christ, as you see more of Christ in the scriptures. So how do we do that? How do we do that together? How do we get off the road of disappointment onto the road of hope? Well, let me give you just a practical way uh, through this on the same page reading Bible program that we've started already. And you're not too late to be part of it, by the way. Today's a catch-up day. Uh, so if you've yet to start, uh, it's just Genesis 1 to 4. And you can get a bookmark. I think there are still journals over here and at the two exits. If you want to pick one up today, it'll just kind of chart your progress as you make your way through uh, the Bible as we do that together. We also want to encourage you, you're not alone in this. This is an individual thing at home, uh, carving out that time on your own. But also, if you're interested, we have um, uh, men. I know there's quite a few men's groups that are meeting already. I have met in the... Um, in the previous year and are planning on meeting this year, uh, weekly or twice a month, and just discussing what we're learning together. And if you're out there, if you're a guy or a gal, if you're a, a woman who'd like to be part of that, if you want to organically on your own, find somebody who you can just kind of encourage and they can encourage you as you walk through that together, do that. But if you need some help with that, we'd love to uh, contact us. Uh, Pastor Josh would love to get you connected with someone or a couple different people with that. Also, uh, monthly, we want to tell you that there are discussion groups that are going to happen every month. So men are going to meet on the third Thursday of the month here uh, in person, 630. Uh, that's going to be for men. And then the fourth Thursday of the month, women are going to meet here at the church, both in the morning at 930 or at, in the evening at 630. So we look forward to those times to you know, talk about what we've learned, to... Um, just encourage one another um, as we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But let me end with this. Why are we doing this? Um, why did we decide to start off the year this way? And why are we committing ourselves to a two-year uh, Bible reading plan? Why? I heard one pastor say it this way. When you lose your why, you lose your way. When you lose your why, you lose your way. So if, if we come into this and we think, well, the reason why I'm reading my Bible is because I feel like I should, or I'm going to feel really good about myself in all the check marks that I can mark off, you know, and spiritually I'm going to feel like I've, you know, really done a great thing for God. If that's your motivation, it's not going to last very long. Um, other things will become more important. The big why of reading your Bible 
is that you want to know Jesus personally and deeply. And if you're still on this front end where you're kind of, I'm not sure if I do know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, let me share this with you. He wants to meet you right now on that road, wherever you are. And, and the way that he shows up ordinarily is just by reading the Bible. So I encourage you, I challenge you, read the Bible this year and see Jesus on every page. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that as we come into this new year, though it's been a disappointing uh, previous year and we feel like there's a lot we're carrying on with us, we know that you meet us right there on that road and you invite us to a better road, a road of hope, not in better circumstances, not in the turning of the calendar, but in a savior that loves us, who died for us and has risen from the grave and who wants to meet with us right there in the word every day. I pray that you would help us to know you, Jesus, this year personally and deeply. We thank you that you're our counselor and our companion as we walk this road all the way to heaven. We pray in Christ's name, amen.